We're looking at being the body of Christ in 2017. Being the church that can can represent Christ as his body. All the different parts working as they should. All the different parts heading toward the, the destination intended by him as he's designed us. You know, I've always been amazed by the idea of organizations, groups of people, uh, uh, NASA and, and all other countries that have been involved uh, with this, of landing someone or something on the moon or on a distant planet like the Mars rover or something. I mean, think about it. When, when astronauts would take off launching from the earth, they're not aiming for where the moon is at that time. They're aiming for where the moon would be when they would intersect with it in its orbit, from the earth's orbit, using the earth's gravity as a slingshot as well as rocket propulsion and all this. The mathematical calculations that, that they could calculate down to the, to the moment and the propulsion that would be needed as if they were aiming for the moon exactly where it is now. They could calculate where it would be. And of course, they would have to take into account the, the Earth's gravity, the moon's gravity, all these different things. The sun's gravity, I would assume. And that being constant, uh, they would be capable of doing that. And we'll come back to this. Uh, in a little bit here. But in a lot of ways, we are, we are estimating, we are calculating, we are looking at where God wants us to land as we develop as his people, as his body. And where that is, is harvesters being on gospel mission. And our vision, as I've said before, is, is the result of the purpose that he's given us as a body, combined with our values, combined with how he's designed us to be, how he's designed us as a specific body of Christ. Our vision is our purpose combined with our values. And to remind you again, our purpose is our constant direction that we head in. It's the horizon that we continue to move toward. Exalting God Edifying and equipping believers and extending his kingdom. This is what we believe he has given us the job of doing until he returns. And it's shaped, our pathway there is shaped by how he's designed us. It's shaped by our values. What we call the harvest way of doing things. And that is in seeking to accomplish these purposes. To follow Christ under the authority of the scriptures. Applying his truth to our daily lives. Walking in prayerful dependence. With the ministry being done by the body. In the context of healthy relationships. And then there's a sixth one that we recognize. As leadership is here in this body of harvest. And that is discipling the next generation of. And you fill in the blank. 2 Timothy 2, 2, in which we find 
Paul tells Timothy that a large part of his purpose there as a pastor was he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the pattern that God has established, that he has bequeathed to us, that he has blessed, and that is his truth coming from someone like a Paul to a Timothy to faithful men for them to hold on to? No, for them to teach others also. Notice, he's not calling Timothy to step aside. He's not calling these people that he, he passes this truth on to, to carry it for a while and then step aside and let someone else take it up. He's calling them to teach others on. Teach it, pass it on to others. We are called to pass on the ministry to others who have shown themselves to be faithful But, but here leads us into what we're looking at this morning in Ephesians 4. Picking Ephesians 4 back up. Pass on what? Well, what Paul's talking about here is the sound teaching of the gospel and the call to disciple others. Men who are faithful in what? That, I hope, will be answered in our time in Ephesians 4 this morning. So picking back up, looking at Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. Though we're going to skip over verses 8 through 10 here. Just for the purpose of time. And we explained kind of the context of it last week. We read in verse 1. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he goes on to describe some of those particular gifts in the forms of people in verse 11. Not to take away from the fact that each of us have been given, if we know Christ as our Savior, we've been given spiritual gifts in which to minister to each other with and to the world with. So in verse 11, he picks up on these people gifts. And he gave some as apostles. He gave, I'm sorry, I'm giving you the NIV here, I think. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until when? For what purpose? How long does this go for? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed 
to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, last week we looked at these, not physical trainers, but spiritual trainers. Equippers, helping saints to build the body. We see these in verses 11 through 12. We ask the question, who gives these spiritual trainers to the church? And that is Jesus himself as the head of the body. What are spiritual trainers? We boiled these down modern day, what we see happening in our day today, as well as evangelists that that carry the gospel, uh, uh, not necessarily to a body of Christ, but beyond the body of Christ. We see within the body, shepherds, teachers, and pastors also could be called shepherd teachers. We saw that the purpose of spiritual trainers was for the equipping of the saints. For what? So that the saints might do the ministry of the body. And the end goal of that ministry is a healthy church, a healthy body of Christ with Christ as our head. So what does a healthy church begin to look like? We see today that in our looking at bodybuilding, the body of Christ should be resembling Christ himself. That's our horizon that we're moving toward together as a body. Where we see in verse 13 and 14, which we'll be opening up today, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. You know, we shared with you my fascination with us being able to land a, a, a astronaut or land a, 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 a rover on a distant planet. And that's amazing, you know, because it's so far away. But really, when it boils down to it, it's just a matter of calculating math and such, things that are constant. Can you imagine if you were trying to aim a ship across the ocean? If you, from New York, you're trying to aim a ship at, um, at the uh, United Kingdom. I'll, just, I'll give you the whole, the whole United Kingdom there, okay? Not, not just a port, but to aim a ship, an unmanned unguided ship. How would you calculate that? Well, it would be hard because you've got ocean currents. You've got storms that pop up. You've got waves that batter back and forth at this vessel. And keep in mind here that a ship isn't all that good it's, it's not, it doesn't matter all that much if it doesn't get to its port of destination. And it's vitally important to keep the port of destination in mind. The intended destination can get lost soon into a journey. 
especially when one is out on open water. Okay, so even with this ship being manned by sailors, they would need to be aware of the effects of the conditions that the ship is under, the currents, the storms, the waves, the winds. Otherwise, the ship is just being driven or directed back and forth by currents and winds. In the same way, a church must keep steady attention on its destination and purpose, that of being the body of Christ. We must be aware of how we're being affected by the conditions of the world around us. The danger is being tossed back and forth by by every doctrinal idea that comes our way. The danger is in changing course because of the strong current against trying to lead others to Christ. Or the strong current against trying to give our children and the world a picture of biblical marriage. Or the strong current against trying to speak the truth to others in love. There's a strong current against these and so many other things. But we must stay the course. And these debates and others of biblical proportion can divide and drive a wedge in a church. But harvesters should be uniting as we grow in our faith in Christ. We should be uniting as we grow in our faith in Christ. First of all, he says that here, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, we talked about this in our small group and... um, we're like in chapter 8 of our book. If, if you think I move slow, just generally, I move slow as a small group leader too. But um, one of my children told me recently if I was an animal, I'd be a turtle. But uh, there you go. So anyways, back to small group. We were discussing this idea that, that your faith is only as strong as the object. Well, we finally have an altar call going. Your faith is only as worth, has as much worth or as, as strong as the object that you put your faith in. Okay? So you could have all the faith in the world in a chair that's not going to hold you. Okay? And it's only as valuable as the strength of that chair which you're putting your faith in. Now, if you walked into here and I said, all of the chairs in this room are not one of them are going to survive, hold up through the whole entire service, except for one. Choose wisely. But I share that to say, our faith in Christ, it's not just a faith in terms of, well, it's a really good one, so put your faith in it. To put our faith in Christ is to say, This is the only chair that's going to hold me. All the others are going to fail. None of the others are going to hold up for all of eternity. Or for life on this earth. It's vitally important that our faith in the person of Christ is central to who we are as believers. And is central to who we are as a body. Unity doesn't come from 
simply a signed statement of faith. Unity comes from our sold-out faith in the solid object of our faith, Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And unity of the faith involves leaning together on the doctrinal truths of the gospel. And the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God involves the practical experiencing of Christ. We see that where he's, and we see in their passage that harvesters should be uniting also as we grow in experiencing Christ. That knowledge of the Son of God that comes from unity, that knowledge is not, is not knowledge like what would win you the knowledge bowl. Okay, this is an experiential knowledge. I know this person. Do you know this person? Do you know what he's, what he's doing? And can I share with you, with you what he's doing in my life? Oh my goodness, he's doing the same thing in your life that he's doing in my life. And okay, I'm heading down this path and now I'm feeling convicted for some reason. Let me interact with Christ about this. Let me pursue his guidance on this. Coming to a brother or sister and saying, now I'm he- I've been heading down this path and this is what I'm getting the sense of. Do you think that could be the Lord? We're united in our experience of the Son of God, our knowledge of Him. And this is a type of unity that comes from stepping out in faith together and seeing Him hold strong and show up. Really living by faith is living as if I will fall flat on my face if God doesn't show up. If God doesn't show himself for who he says he will be and who he is, I'm going to fall flat on my face. This person's going to take complete advantage of me. If God doesn't show up, I'm going to waste my life in this marriage. If, if the fact that, that his gospel can change a heart, it's useless for me to spend my afternoons trying to share it with children. But if it's true, there's great treasure located there. Living by faith is living so that I will fall flat on my face if God isn't who he says he is. In our small groups, they're intended for sharing our common experience with God through Christ. Experiencing Christ together is where unity is found. There are those that think that doctrine only divides people. We see in this verse that doctrinal growth together is part of maturing in Christ. And this can be a case when it's, it's not learned in the context of it can divide if, it, if doctrine is learned not in the context of experiencing Christ, the Christ of our beliefs, just book learning. But it shouldn't be that way. We should be learning both what does the gospel teach? How does the gospel apply to this situation? Where, how deep does God's grace go? And we should be learning from each other. You know, an accountable relationship is not just for helping us to sin less. It's also for helping us to apply the gospel to our sin. And I encourage you to that. 
Our idea of maturity also should always be measured by the standard of Christ. Harvesters should be uniting as we grow by the standard of Christ. That's our goal, to mature manhood. What is mature manhood in Christ? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What a standard. Ephesians 1.23 describes Christ as him who fills all in all. In 3.19, we're told knowing, we're encouraged that that. Uh, growing in Christ means, and, and Paul's prayer for the believers is to knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, resulting in God's children being filled with all the fullness of God. That's the fullness of Christ. Colossians 1.19 explains, For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of God, of God was pleased to dwell. And in Colossians 2.9, in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm never going to get there. And I believe it take, will take us eternity to get there. You ever been in a store Maybe you guys don't look at furniture with your wives the way I do and stuff. I'm, but, uh, you know, you're looking at a piece of furniture. Maybe you're over at Cabbages and Kings and stuff. And you're like, okay, I know that that spot in the living room or wherever, it's three feet. And you're looking at the piece of furniture and you're like, will it fit? Will it not fit? I don't know. So what do you have to do? You have to go ask for a tape measure. You have to go ask for a yardstick, right? Can I just measure this piece? That's what you have to do with used furniture, you know? So you go get the yardstick, and you get the yardstick, and you put it on there. And now you know. Jesus is to be our measuring stick. He himself is to be what we measure ourselves or, or opportunities or, or, or uh, how we're doing as a body against We're not supposed to compare ourselves to each other. Don't compare yourself to me. I will disappoint you. I will make you feel very mature at times. We should compare ourselves to the model and model ourselves after Christ himself. Jesus lived in full submission to the Father and full dependence on the Holy Spirit. He lived the type of life that we're called to live. He wasn't like, oh, this is getting hard. I'm going to pull some God out here. (laughs) That's what the whole um, temptation in the wilderness was about, to be honest with you. Walvard and Zuck says this, as each believer functions in accord with the gifts Christ has given him, the body as a whole enjoys unity and becomes more spiritually mature more like Jesus Christ in all his fullness. The body, we together are called to become like Christ. This is not intended to be a place where you come and get empowered to go live like Christ. That's true. 
It should be the case. But this is talking about us together investing ourselves in each other, investing ourselves together in the world around us and as a body becoming more like Christ. You know, the measure of Christ, like I said, it's unattainable in this life. And if we ever think we've arrived, we should revisit this verse. I was so blessed by chapel message given by a professor, Dr. Beyer, in seminary. This guy taught both biblical Hebrew and biblical Greek and had written books on both. He was hugely learned. And the, and the, the main idea of his message that he kept coming back to again and again was, the more I know, the more I realize how little I truly know. If you think you've got the infinite God figured out, that makes you God. Okay? We only know what we know about him because he has revealed himself to us. And we better chain ourselves to that. When it comes to the words that we say to others, we also need to assume that we don't exactly know what's best, necessarily. doesn't matter that we, we need to say, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to say nothing. We just need to keep the number one rule of carpentry in mind, right? Measure twice, cut once, right? Measure twice, cut once. Measure our words against the person of Christ, and what it looks like to biblically follow him. Measure it again. Measure our heart's desires against what God desires for that person. Measure it again. And then speak. As we'll look at next week, he talks about speaking the truth in love. And I just want to speak to just a Local experience here real quick. A couple of young people did a really awful thing this past week, okay, to an animal. Some of you know these young people. It's a small town enough. Um, I know kids that know these young people. But I will tell you the horrible things that have been said that should be done to these people online and stuff is awful. Um, We need to measure twice and cut once with our words. So you can look that up if you want to. But the unity of harvest as a body is important. How's the unity in your home? How's the unity that comes from a common faith of trusting and depending on Christ exclusively? How much is is that talked about in your home? How many of the cutting conversations in your home are the result of you not measuring your words against Christ? Measure twice, cut once. How are you stepping out in faith together watching for God to show up, believing his truth. 
Verse 14 here moves into what? Growing in our knowledge of Christ should solve in us. Harvesters should be more stable as we grow. He says there in verse 14, picturing that, that ship trying to make its way across the ocean with currents, winds, waves, trying to push it off course. The goal is so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The result of our growing in a unity of of our, our faith in Christ, doctrinal certainty on what the gospel is and what the gospel is not and what does it mean. And the result of our growing in, a, in, a, uh, in sharing our personal knowledge of Christ should result in our being no longer naive about wrong ideas about God. The result should be of us setting our compass on the person of Christ in Scripture, not on people's ideas of Him. In the picture there that we're given, that was very common in the first century, is of a boat tossed back and forth, as we've discussed. And it, it's not going to get where it was intended to go. Just set adrift, even, if you will. We will not exalt God, edify and equip believers, or extend His kingdom floating aimlessly or haphazardly. There's a whole army of God's enemies in the spiritual realm that will make sure of that. It is their intention. And they've been doing it for 10,000 years. I want to share with you just thought about this maybe maybe an example okay and um i hate to just point out a book okay but it's a popular book it's called the shack in it god the father is portrayed it's called papa i don't want to go into too much of it but in it god the father character speaks of the time when the three persons of the trinity Quote, spoke ourself in the human existence as the Son of God. Nowhere in the Bible is the Father or the Spirit described as taking on human existence. This is actually a first century heresy um, brought back to life. Further confusion of the person of Christ is brought in when this God the Father character tells the main character that though Jesus is fully God, he's never drawn upon his nature as God to do anything. He has only lived out his relationship with the Father, living in the very same manner that I desire to be in relationship with every human being. When Jesus healed the blind, the explanation is he did so only as a dependent human being, limited human being, trusting in the Father's power, uh, life and power to be at work within him and through him. Jesus, as a human being, had no power within himself to heal anyone. So in making Jesus the standard of what we should pursue, the author makes him less than who he truly is. You get that? In the hope that a person will be able to identify with Christ, the idea was let's bring him down to our level. 
What's dangerous, deeply dangerous, eternally dangerous about this is that we're saved by our faith in the true Christ. So what happens if you paint a different picture of Christ and just call him Jesus? Jesus, uh, the Jesus character tells the main character here that he's the best way a human can relate to the Father and Holy Spirit. Not the only way. He's the best way. The book teaches that the whole world is presently reconciled to God, which is universalism. Everyone is in saving relationship with God presently. This has sold more than 10 million copies and it's been translated into over 30 languages. And now that it's becoming, oh, it's it's one of the best-selling paperback books of all time, especially among evangelical Christians. And now that it's becoming a movie, Christians are cheering over it finally being released on the big screen. So are we to attack and defend against every popular, errant theology that the church wants to embrace? No. But we are to disciple one another to grow more and more into the Christ of the the Bible in our doctrine and in our experience of him. Maturing as a believer means that you are becoming more like Christ in your desires and in your thoughts and in your actions. And that means hanging out with those who need to be more like him. It means that we are, to, are, we are becoming more like him in what we desire for others and in what we desire for his body of harvest. It's more and more of a, Lord, not what I will, but what you will. You see how that's becoming more and more like him? That's what he said to his father in the garden. So where are you helping the next generation to weather these storms of incurrence of deception? What is hugely important to us that we have recognized is this value of discipling the next generation of. Disciple them into what? Pass on what? The sound teaching of the gospel and the call to disciple. Men who are faithful in what is what we we're, we're, we're seeking to raise up disciples that are faithful in what solid faith in Christ in solid relationship with Christ. You realize that the church, the body of Christ and the body of truth that we carry has simply been passed down from one person to another for the last 2000 years. It's only been in our century that it's been broadcast on TV or in mass meetings, which are great, or in huge gatherings. It's been passed down from one person to another for the last 2,000 years. And although I don't think that God would let this happen, it's always one generation from extinction. Unless... We pass it on. The next generation of what? That's such an odd statement there. The next generation of dot, dot, dot. 
Well, I think what's most clear is followers of Christ. The next generation of Christians, the next generation of believers. You know, um, Sarah Carlson was, was supposed to share in December when, our, uh, when we had to cancel because of the ice storm. It's all the more, uh, believe, confirmation here that God is in this, in our involvement at New Market Elementary, that this would be the morning that Sarah would share, and this would be the morning that this is what we're talking about. We don't coordinate these things together all that much. We let God do that. But we are called to share the gospel with the next generation of kids. And I'll tell you this. There's been a shift in our culture. And whereas it used to be that maybe a young man and young woman would grow up in the church and maybe they might uh, walk away from the Lord in college and, and find each other and get married and then they would have kids and that would be something that would cause them to say, we need to get our kids exposed to biblical truth. There's been a shift in our culture. That is not happening anymore. Children are not being brought to church anymore. Not even dropped off. We must go to them if they are to hear the gospel. We must go to them. My brother-in-law just adopted a foster child out of the foster system. You wouldn't believe how interesting Christmas was to them. This is a child growing up in America, growing up in a major city in Milwaukee, and she's like, wait a second, hold on. God became a baby? That's where our culture is at, folks. Children are not hearing anything close to the gospel. We must go to them. And involvement with CEF and, and, and things like this, that's an excellent opportunity. But it's not just the next generation of followers of Christ. It's the next generation of adult followers of Christ. This is part of how we know that our church values this. We value it as a staff. Pastor Jeff is personally involved in shepherding our children's ministry program. I'm personally involved with our youth ministry program. I'll go from this service to meet with our student servant team and then come back this evening and work with our youth group, which I love. My kids are involved. I'm blessed among the most of us by being able to be involved with these students. And they need our involvement. But it's also getting the next generation of worship leader ready. I know that that's our worship ministry's mindset. Who is the next person? Who are the next young people to carry this on? The next generation of coffee makers. The next generation of work welcome center person. The next generation of servant team member. The next generation of shepherds. This is an ingredient that we see sown in everything that God is doing in harvest. That we have a mindset to to raise up, to disciple the next generation of Whatever it is that we're doing. And as as I mentioned. This doesn't mean we're called to get out of the way. And let somebody else do it. We are called to disciple one another. Into ministry. 
We're called to be involved in ministry, each and every one of us, in a way that is discipling others. You're not called to just get out of the way. You're called to prepare someone for ministry. You're called to bring your life wisdom into ministry. Each of us should be being prepared for ministry and involved in ministry and preparing someone else for it. But I want to tell you something. There's no such thing as retirement in the church. There is no such thing as retirement in the church. We never retire. I will never retire. I'm, my mind might not be sharp enough one day to be preaching. But I never plan on retiring. And we look forward, and we'll talk next week a little bit more. We look forward about putting ministry opportunities before you on a regular basis in 2017. Starting with our ministry areas that our servant team members are involved with. And a huge reason why they are involved in these areas is not just to carry that and to serve you with that, but to open up the door in these areas for you to get involved with them. Because why? Because they're called to disciple the next generation of whatever it is that they're doing. This is an ingredient that we see sown into everything that God has made us. And so we're going to make big of it, just like the other values that we carry. Let's bow in prayer.